137 PM's Live from the Bar Cart. A look into the style, culture, strength, and grind of the modern day man. Wyclef Jean, welcome to the 137 PM Live from the Bar Cart podcast. Thank you. Thank you, family. I'm your host, Brian Anthony Hernandez, and you, my friend, are, of course, a three time Grammy winner, a proud Haitian, a family man, and a mentor to musicians and entrepreneurs. How are you doing today? I'm good, man. Well, I want to thank you, first of all, for pronouncing my name right. You know what I mean? If we was out in Texas, they'd be like, why Clef Jean? Oh, God. Coming up next, why Clef Jean? <laughs> you know how many times they done fucked up my name in these award shows, man. I'm from Nebraska, so Midwest. And uh, I had your album in the 90s, so. Yeah. So you probably was like, oh, okay. And it's I so crazy because when um, certain places I go, they'd be like, like Jean, like uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yeah, yeah, like Jean-Claude Van Damme. You've got it. <laughs> yeah, they get that one right, but they can't get it. All good, baby. Uh, I'm great, man. Happy to be here with you. I actually was in Albuquerque. I was in New Mexico, had a, an incredible show. And um, it was it was dope, man, like being out there in Albuquerque. Um, one of like their claim to fames is they uh, they showed me like the road where um, where Billy the Kid used to hang out. Oh no way! Yeah, it was like yo, this is where Billy the Kid used to hang out. It was pretty like surreal. I had a great time though. What was the wildest part of that show? Man, I would just say you know the vibe with the people. For me, um, just I love like um, being in a studio recording music, but there's nothing like performing because literally you just turn into something else. I was actually talking to one of my younger artists, Jazzy Amra, who where, you know, I got to go through this artist development process. And I was like, yo, literally, you have to be two people. And I was like, you know, whether it was like, I remember when uh, Destiny Child, Beyonce and them used to open up for me. Beyonce would be on the side of the stage watching my show like a hawk. And, you know, this was all part of the artist development. And I'm like, every night they pick up something new. And I was like, the only time that you're going to know that you really made it, like, I'm going to really be happy is when you get off the stage and I look at you and I'm like, who was that on the stage? You know what I'm saying? So I, I would always say the best part for me is always just losing myself, you know? Yeah. yeah. And you just talked about Beyonce and helping artists reinvent themselves when you look at them on stage. Uh, so let's start there. Um, you've recently been helping people on this platform called Fiverr, and it's this online service uh, for entrepreneurs and freelancers. What are you doing with them and what's happening? Well, I mean, Fiverr is incredible. I checked them out. The reason why the partnership worked is um, so my next mixtape is a very interesting one. It's called Why Clef Goes Back to School, right? Because um, I feel like we never stopped learning. So the idea of how I came up with this mixtape would be I wanted to level out the playing field with talent because I feel sometimes you can have something on YouTube that have 20 million views and then you can have something that have 500 views. And at the end of the day, the 500 views get overlooked and that could be the next Amy Winehouse. Mm -hmm. So the idea of this Why Clef Goes Back to School mixtape was I was recruiting talent um, from like the last year of high school going into the universities, right? And we was going, so we was on tour and then I would stop by a university and we have like battle to the stage. And so on the next mixtape, what's brilliant about it is 
I would say 70% of the kids on there is going to be your first time hearing them. Um, and I feel like they're competitive and can keep up with anything out there. Um, so for me, that's why I love Fiverr. I think it it uh, it even it evens the playing field for everything. Like whether you know if you like want to do art cover of something, you know whether you know you got a little tech invention that you're working on, you know you know whether like you that musician that you know sitting in your room and you're like the next Hendrix. You're like, well, where's the platform? So for me, um, I embrace like technology that sort of like um, focuses a lot on like um the human aspect like the aspect that's away from hype mm -hmm. because i feel like record companies they just get drawn to hype so it's sort of like and i tell people the fuji's first album was called blunted on reality it was a flop i think my mama bought one copy lauren mom bought a prize mom probably bought one copy but i was like but we had what was called the artist development it wasn't like the music wasn't good it was just that we were still finding ourselves and people were still discovering us and i think um so with fiverr getting a chance to just hear the level of talent and going through it it was mind-boggling and you already went through like all the applications and the people who use that service, I feel like they're so eager to get their their music out there, and it's really cool that you're you're part of that. Okay, them. I'm gonna say something, and I hope I don't get in trouble, but you know why Clef is straight up Haitian gangster all day? <laughs> it's the real version of MySpace. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like the dream of MySpace would be like, you know, like everyone was excited in the beginning because it was like, yo, I could actually go up on a platform and. Why Clef's actually gonna show up and be like, yo, man, uh, on bar 16, you might wanna change this. You might, you know what I mean? So um, there's aspects of it to me, which is um, sort of like what they tried to do with MySpace in the early days. And this one's actually doing it because the artist actually shows up. Why Clef shows up, he actually goes through the applications, he actually listens. Because I feel like what this, I'll go back to again, this platform, it levels out the playing field, which is very important. And that's similar to what, what kind of like what YouTube was back in the day when, um, you know, Bieber came out of that. A lot of musicians were able to get their music to the world without the traditional routes of record labels and things like that. So. Yeah. And I think that's one of the most important things. I was just at YouTube actually for a tutorial. And, um, you know, now uh, Leo Cohen's heads on um, YouTube. And one of the things I want artists to understand is at the end of the day, YouTube is literally your television. It's your, it's your, you want to go live every day, go on live. You want to sell your tickets. You want to, it's just at the end of the day, um, the idea of an individual having their own channel and being able to, um, to do that, you have to take advantage of that. I tell artists, just take advantage of it all. <laughs> I mean, even with traditional, uh, shows like the video music awards that MTV does, uh, like they still televise it, but most people watch the performances on YouTube. It's so interesting. Even like TRL turned from a television show to now only YouTube clips with Sway. So, yeah, well, what happens is, like I was saying, everything shrinks, right? Because at the end of the day, right, um, technology is getting smarter and smarter and smarter, right? So back in the days, the amount of access, right, was limitless. Mm -hmm. It was it was limited, right? Being that it was limited. Um, it was uh, sort of like special because it was like only one place we can get it. So now, you know, literally like kids sitting in this room, like 
I'll watch this on, on TRL, but while I'm watching that, I, I after that, I want to create my own TRL. <laughs> you know what I'm saying yeah. to you? So that's what's incredible about it. Awesome. So we mentioned the VMAs. You actually had a hot performance on there with Shakira like a decade ago. So uh, we're big into origin stories here at 1.37 p.m. So let's talk about Hips Don't Lie, your collaboration with Shakira. That ended up being one of the top-selling singles of all time still to this day. Um, a lot of people don't know that that was inspired by your own song, Dance Like This. So talk about how you transformed that original version into the massive hit, Hips Don't Lie. Yeah. It's so funny. My man uh, Sticks from Watts was hit me yesterday. He was like, yo, you know the joint you did with Destiny Child was the first rhyme singing song for girls, right? And because it was a format that I started with Lauren and then I moved on to to a destiny child with this format so me it's like once again i'm inspired by quincy jones mm -hmm. so i've i never wanted to be like the front guy i always wanted to be the guy who who's doing the records for the artists uh, my true passion is artistry i love to watch artists shine um, the original version of Hips Don't Lie is called dance like this and i was working with one of my mentors clive davis you know, founder of like Whitney Houston and oh, yeah. man, y'all don't know who Clive is, man. <laughs> y'all need to go Google. Um, so, his, his party every year is pretty epic. Uh, yeah, insane. So um, there was a movie um, which was a, a remake of Havana Nights, mm -hmm. and at the time I had an artist called Claudette Artis, and I had. So if you go listen to that original, you'll hear. Bah, 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 bah. I never really knew that you could dance like this. You'll still hear all of that. Um, but now what happens is as a composer um, or a film director, man, you can write a brilliant movie, but depending on who the actor is and who the actress is, this at times can make a huge difference. You know what I mean? So at the, two years later, um, I got the call from... Donnie Ina and Charlie Walk, and I was like, yo, we're looking for, you know, and I was like, uh, I think I got something that I had did for Dance Like This, and what's incredible about it, now everyone is doing remixes, right? I was doing that back then. Mm -hmm. So literally, Hips Don't Lie is a remix of Dance Like This. Yep. So if you go back and you listen to Dance Like This, but now here we go, it's a brand new cast. Her name is Shakira, she's from Colombia. So we go to Miami and rework the record. Now we get the record gets more interesting, right? Because Shakira is bringing the kumba, she's bringing the Colombian influence, and so so. Um, and I remember she's like, "Yo, if my hips don't move, this record ain't a hit yet." You know what I mean? And, <laughs> um, it, being in the studio with, with Shakira, I and watching her dance, I, till today I still don't know how I, I was able to do the record, man. <laughs> Talk about being distracted. Uh, so for me, I think that that version worked because of the co collaboration and what a superstar. And then the, the music video. Um, so Shakira is a genius in her own right, right? Um, what we have in common is we can see the entire thing, not just music, but visuals and everything. And she just had this idea of like, yo, at the end of the day, um, I want to shoot like this unique music video and the hips action in that video was literally like a tutorial to teach um, both males and females how to belly dance. Like, dude, I was trying to belly dance and <laughs> I just can't get my circle off like she can't. 
Um, yeah, it's impossible not to dance <laughs> yeah. while listening to that and watching it. So that's how that happened, for sure. And now, actually, a lot of lists year after year continue to list that song as, you know, one of the best pop songs of all time. NPR this year listed it as one of the uh, greatest songs ever by... Um, by like a female so mm. congratulations on this now, longevity of that yes yeah, all love i mean look dude you got people who make hits and i learned that a long time ago from quincy jones don't make a hit man make a cultural phenomenon so because the hits come and they go but i don't care we can go way back like 50s 40s 60s the cultural phenomenons is something like when it comes on, we remember where we were, what we were doing. You know what I'm saying? To you, it either gonna make you laugh, cry, dance. It brings that emotion. So for me, um, that's what I'm into, man. Awesome. And another collaboration you had that definitely made me feel something, especially dancing, was uh, Maria Maria with Santana. Mm -hmm. You co-wrote and produced that um, off his Grammy-winning Supernatural album. Um, you later again worked with him on the FIFA World Cup anthem four years ago mm -hmm. with Avicii, who mm -hmm. unfortunately we lost this year. Mm -hmm. um, tell me, how was it working with Avicii on that anthem, but then also again on the beautiful song um, Divine Sorrow? Yeah. So I think once again, I, I think um, with me, um, going back to Santana is... Um, uh, once again, from the brain of a composer. So I think like um, there is a name that like whenever you hear the name Waclef Jean, you have to think composer first, Gershwin, because it's it's d deeper than just collaborations. If it was that, I wouldn't be here today. It's sort of like a mastermind, uh, a play on how I see it. So Santana um, is from Woodstock. So him and Hendrix shared stages. And the idea of Clive was like, okay, how are we going to bring this back? Clive was so passionate about the project. He's like, yo, do you know who Santana is? You got to be kidding me, Clive. This is the godfather. Um, so the idea, I was obsessed with a movie called uh, West Side Story. And in this movie, we had the character Maria. And then you had you, you had the two gang rivals. And so if you hear the, the, the song, you know, Maria, Maria, you remind me of West Side Story. So this is the idea of the genesis of how this song came about. And I always say that because you got people listening that are like composers. And so as a composer, when you get that call, it's like, OK, how are you going to move this, bring this movie to the screen? Um, for me, a lot of times I'm inspired by um, like the sound of music and different plays, um, certain movies like that. Um, so leads us into Avicii. So with Avicii, um, I got a chance to work with Avicii and Ash, um, Avicii's manager. And the I remember when we was doing the World Cup thing, it was a Sunday. And uh, me and Avicii, like, it was a winter. I remember, man, going to Sweden, like, working in the winter. And the idea of... I was very excited about what Tim was doing. So I call him by his real Tim, I call him Vici. Uh, man, one day I hear this acoustic guitar, man, against what you would consider EDM, right? And then what, it's back in the days it would be called house music. So every generation it changed or electronic music, right? Um, and I was like, yo, who the fuck is fusing this bluegrass thing, I, you know? And uh, so we got together. And I would say like our synergy clicked like automatically. Um, Cause I always say like musicians, like are, we don't separate ourselves. Like we don't, I don't be like, oh, I'm Wyclef. I'm a hip hop kid, reggae, 
study jazz, you know? And he go, well, I'm an EDM kid. I, no, like, we're just two musicians. So he knows as much as about Ray Charles as he would about the next thing. Um, and we collaborated on, on this, you know, um, Mia Vici, um, Ash, we did the, the, you know, the idea was like, how do we get to the World Cup? Um, with, with something that could be very interesting. And of course, um, Santana, which we had great history with going back, um, came in and, uh, and blessed some, once again, uh, incredible guitars and you know people could look online and see that performance at the FIFA for me I always say my life's the Cinderella story because four years before that I was with Shakira mm -hmm. and uh, we was in Germany right um, that's where the World Cup was at um, and it was just crazy to see us like coming back and Shaki actually was performing there too like she came back and she was performing I think um, uh, the World Cup um, soccer, you know, if you're in America, but I'm from Haiti, dog, so it's called football, football. where we come from. <laughs> so, you know, and um, I have to say that because I got, like, my American friends, they be like, yo, so football, okay. Um, Tony Dorsett. Yeah, I said, yeah, I used to collect those baseball cards. No, 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 like, ever heard of, like, Pele, you know? Mm -hmm. I call him the Brazilian ballerina. You know? <laughs> um, so for me, um, it's just incredible because those, that kind of music reaches a billion people. And the idea of like being able to move so much people um, with an anthem, for me, you know, it, it's surreal, but it makes us put much more into the music because we know um, every time a World Cup comes back, even if we're not in it, that these songs will always play. All right, we've been talking a lot about Clive. Um, mm. The most exciting time of the year for me every year is Grammy season. And he, of course, throws his annual Grammy party, which you've been to. Um, and you've been to a lot of Grammys. So I'm going to take it back to Grammys 1997 when the Fuji's album, The Score, was nominated for Album of the Year, also won Best Rap Album. The song Killing Me Softly won for um, Best R&B Collaboration. Uh, to this day, that album is still one of my favorites. It's a classic. Uh, 21 years later, how do you think that album has been remembered? And what's a fun like anecdote you remember from that night? Well, I would say at the last Clive Davis party that I went to last year, um, where there was honoring Jay-Z, and he reminded us of something. Bob Marley don't got no Grammys. And that's the best way I could explain it to you. Like, the score never won album of the year. Like, you got to be like, why? You know what I'm saying to you? So, but looking, like, back at it, um, I remember these words, Let's not create music. Let's create a movement. A movement's going to live long past us. So the idea of the name Fuji's was short for refugees. The band was going to call it refugees, but there was a rock band called Refugees. Um, we was very, um, we, we really was into that because the idea of coming from somewhere else, and then coming to these United States of America and the idea of like immigrants and the the finding a sense of belong belonging. And what hip hop does, right, is what we do is we take what you would think is the most shittiest shit. You know what I'm saying? And like and we'd be like, yo, we gonna make it fly. Cause what happened is you could take and so this is where these words come in. So at the end of the day, I was like, yo, you know, we got we got family members that died on the Cuban shore that never made it over. This is all real. 
you know. And then so my people from Africa felt the same way. Um, Europe felt the same way. The Middle East, everybody felt the same way. So when they listen to Fuji's music, it's music of, of escaping and finding a sense of belonging. And what happens is it's from a place of honesty. So that year when that album coming out, people was like, yo, you know, Biggie Small is coming out, Tupac coming out. And everyone's like, yo, how y'all gonna be able to compete with the the streets? It's some gang bangs, you know? And I was like, well, we different kind of authors. We from the streets too. We from the projects. What what you think? I don't know. I don't know how to, to, to hold crack in my hand. Like I, I never took a gun from a 20, 22 and shot it from the, the project roof. Like really, like I could take a gun apart and probably put it back quicker than every rapper that's rapping. I said, but why? Why would we say that? I said, what's that gonna do for the youth? I said, I said, and this is why hip hop has to be balanced. Someone gotta say that and we gotta say the other thing. So I felt like it was important because all the messages was received. Biggie's message was received. Um, and we used to open up for Biggie too. We did a few shows on him. Tupac message was received. Fuji's, Jay-Z, everyone's message was received. Nas. There's room for everyone. And I love how you mentioned at the beginning of that, that answer that, um a lot of the greatest music doesn't go number one, doesn't win a Grammy. It, it stands the test of time, though, and that's what's important. Yeah, no, it's 100%, you know. I'd be like, um, you know, I always say it's the most important thing because you can go back right now and you can see Drake online at 14 years old and he's singing my verse from Ready or Not. And he's like, now that I escape, sleep, walk. And, you know, and when he saw me, I would say like in the beginning, he gave me a hug and told me how important the carnival is to him. And Drake is 10 years in. And I say, yeah, he's 10 years in because he studied music. And I said, at the end of the day, so can you imagine like if I didn't do the carnival, if if even till today, like if I don't do carnival three, if I if I don't do the idea of music, because I said, you know, take like. I promise you, man, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, you're going to have kids going to Carnival 1, 2, and 3, remaking the idea of music. And I was saying, it's great when everyone knows their position. And I think my position is a position of art to constantly um, reinvent um, myself through music. Awesome. Let's talk about Carnival 3 now. So mm -hmm. you worked with so many people on that album. My favorite song from it is Carry On. Carry on, carry on, carry on, he said. Oh, yeah, with Emily Sande. Yes. How'd you team up with her? One of the most brilliant writers I've ever came across this lifetime, you know? Um, just a big fan of hers and was dying to work with her. Stalked her for over a year and a half, if she's listening, um, in a good way. Right? And um, and then we got together, man. Just wanted to make something pure. Um, like, because the, the state of the world is is not as fucked up as they make it seem. You know what I'm saying? It was like I was at, I was with my daughter at the Drake concert the other day. And he said something which was like, "Look, man, it's eighteen thousand people in here. Ain't no fighting, ain't no nothing. Everyone's having a good time." And I think with the carry on message, that what we do. That's what we're doing, like promoting the idea of like love, like inspiration, faith. This is very important because at the end of the day, you know, love, man, it always conquers hate. It always, it, it, you know. So I feel like the hate is a propaganda which is used because the majority of us, like, is all love, you know what I mean? So that was the idea of Carry On. Awesome. 
And you, you obviously are giving some love to Drake. Do you have a favorite song off Scorpion? Man, I just love Drake work, period. I think the my favorite part about Drake is he's eclectic. Um, Kendrick Lamar, eclectic. Um, J. Cole, um, Migos. Um, you know, I'm like a, a dude who understands all these frequencies, like Future, um, Rich the Kid. Like, I'm a real... You, you got I'm a fan of the culture so for me um, I admire uh, music and you got to understand as a producer for me my favorite thing is always to sit back and watch artists shine so it's um it's always a great thing so speaking of artists shining who are some of the artists out there right now that are impressing you that you'd want to collaborate with or you want to kind of give them a shout out yeah SZA is incredible man okay. I think SZA for me um, is one of the most um, just from vocal wise it's definitely somebody I love to do some work with I just think you know for me it's it's really that kind of vibe um, the artist that I'm working now with uh, Jazz Yamra a very amazing I, I love like you're 20 something but your soul sounds like you 50 something and I'm like where is this soul you know coming from you know what I'm saying I think that's amazing you know think Kendrick the message that Kendrick comes with is a message you know I could relate to I think it's incredible and one of my favorite eclectic um like producer and um and uh, musician and keeps it like 360 is a uh, Childish Gambino oh, yeah yeah so like he's one of the dudes like you know what I'm saying it's almost like so for me like when I be looking back I'd be like this dude is really cool, and I like his style, how he comes. And um, what a video, dude! You know yeah. what I'm saying to you? So. He's cool. He has a message. Those yeah. are those are the things. Great that little actor right too. Yeah, Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. Great show. <laughs> All right, we talked a little about uh, your immigrant story earlier. You also wrote a book called Purpose: uh, Immigrant Story. Um, there's so much happening in the world right now in regard to immigrants and refugees. Uh, why do you think it's important to continue to tell your story? And how did your Haitian upbringing um, kind of mold you into the person you are today and continues to do that? Yeah. Well, I think the immigrant story is all of our stories. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, it, um, my message is always like as much as they want to separate us, we're more together than we are apart. And that was the idea. So the idea is um, the immigrant story can be someone from Palestine could be someone from Israel, Israel. It could be, you know, someone from Russia. It could be someone from Syria. Um, someone getting off the boat from Italy. Um, Nigeria. It's just the idea of saying, you know, what happens when we get here? Like the idea of why did we come in the first place and why did our parents um, allow us to come? Like why, 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 why did they sacrifice everything they can to make sure that we got here? It was the idea of these United States of America and the idea of, you know, this country's founded on the idea of immigrants and anything that um, that you want to be, you can be. So it was sort of like a way to inspire, like, the youth to come and the youth that's here to just let them know at the end of the day, because you might feel like you're all alone. You know what I'm saying? Like, you might be like, man, I don't want to freaking work at this fast food restaurant no more. This shit is fucked up. Like, I'm trying to make this money in the trap quick. But then when you hear, yo, Clef used to work at Burger King, then his cousins that used to sell drugs, you know, they either deported, you know what I mean? Then 
Clef came out on top. Then you go, oh shit, yeah, yeah. The hardworking man ain't no sucker. Like if you do it honestly, then you get to keep what you got. You know what I'm saying too? Oh, yeah. So that's why I want the youth to understand. That's beautiful. Yeah. We'll get that message out there. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> All right, that's a great segue into our round of rapid fire questions. So mm-hmm. I always start with, what was your first job? Was it that Burger King job? Uh, that's else? just funny. My first job I work for, you know, I'll give you the real story. Right. So, you know, I was hustling in front of a Korean store. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was doing my little, you know what I mean, moving my little things. And I remember dude came out like, yo, what you doing here? And I was like, yo, he said, come in here. And he, I came in and he gave me a job, man. So one of my first jobs, I worked at the beauty salon store. So so it was dope, like, because he ain't like, say, get the hell out of here or call police. It was like, come here, I'm going to show you how to do it like you know you're young and you're just trying to find your way and he bought me in jersey yeah this was jersey and i worked in a beauty salon store and and it was so crazy because i didn't want my boys to know that i was working in the beauty salon store right because i'm like like one of the most like respected like dudes on the block you feel what i'm saying to you and here i go um at the beauty salon store now everybody that don't know about the beauty salon store and how quick i was like with inventory and everything like still to today i remember because it's vividly like it changed me in saying yo man you can't be on this block no more you got to make sure that you you're working hard you know what i'm saying so i vividly remember everything i used to sell precise perm revlon um there's synthetic hair there's human hair now anyone who listened to this dog like you like yo this dude really worked in the beauty salon stuff that was like my first job you know what i mean you got the human hair you know what i'm saying and you come in there i'm gonna always try to hustle you i'm gonna try to all the pretty ladies already know when you come in there why clef gonna sell you on the human hair Cause if I could just make my commission on the human hair, that's making more money than the synthetic hair. You dig what I'm saying to you? So that was like my first job. And my boss was Korean. So if anyone who's listening right now is Korean, I like to say to you, Anyang Hashamika. Oh, what's yeah, that yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, How you doing? You know, Serang Hamnita is like, I love you. You know what I'm saying to you? Yeah. Yeah, baby, I, I learned some Korean. Oh my gosh, languages way. are just so beautiful here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> All right. We have this amazing Instagram series called My Female Role Model. Who, it could be someone in your immediate life. It could just be someone who inspires you. Who's your female role model? Man, I would say my wife, Claude Nesjean. She's gangster. She's a Leo. Vicious. Like, at the end of the day, these lioness, they, they're cool. They lay back. Why she inspired me? Because at the end of the day, back in the days, Clef ain't had no money for the club. Proswell from the Fuji's ain't had no money for the club. We used to go bang on her little door like, yo, could we get like $12, $20, $25? And it's like, now it's today. So so just to see how she's moving, like she has a fashion line called Fuchsia. She's just, and it's just the idea of, I would say the community that we come from to see how crack and drugs took over that community and to see how she rises and you know how she raises my daughter with tough love at the end of the day, and they similar, but they don't know it yet. You know what I'm saying to you? I find that incredible. That's beautiful. Love is real. 
real, baby. <laughs> All right, this is probably, I probably already know the answer to this, but who is the person you're texting the most? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm texting wifey and yeah. my, yeah, my daughter. My daughter is slow with the texting back. You know, she's 13. She got a thousand friends to text before getting back to her dad, but I don't take it personal. <laughs> I feel like they all just, like, respond through Snapchat faster than text now. Straight up, they all so. Snapchats, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What app do you use the most on your phone? Um, the app that I use the most is WhatsApp because um, just it's a quick way with my music files. Like just at the end of the day, yeah, you could email it. But uh, for WhatsApp, um, as a musician and as a producer, it's just a quick way to set up like a group. You know, people be like, yo, you could do the same thing. Email. I'll be like, nah, nah, it's not really the same. I don't know if it's a psychological thing with us. Like, we like to see that little bar, oh, yeah. you know, that little play button <laughs> a certain way. Definitely. That's cool. That's the first time I heard an artist transfer files like that. So yeah. there's probably a lot of people who do that. I just, like, they don't talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And now, what are three life rules you live by that you can share with our audience? Man, I think, you know, the the three, it, it's very important. I would say, um, you know, the first one is um, to be brutally honest with yourself. Because if you can do that, then you... Uh, you're going to be okay, but you got to be brutally honest with yourself, you know? And I would say the second thing is you have to be kind. Um, and being kind is very important. And you can't just be kind to a group of people. Like, trust me, even, um, I ain't tell you to be soft, but kindness is, um, is very important. And, I, and then I would say the third thing, which is the most important thing I live by, spirituality. Like, See, I ain't talking no religion, no nothing, but you have to be in a space of Zen. Um, always like find time for yourself, at least an hour to two hours, because it seems like, yo, the world's not going to function without you. But actually, it will. <laughs> That's awesome. Self-care is definitely important. I took a run last night listening to all your music. See, you know the vibes already. Yeah, <laughs> that was my self-care. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. And then what's next for you? What's popping? So, um, it's it, this is very important because this mixtape why Clef's go goes back to school probably gonna put it out I think October sixth the entire tape um, I think like in history this is gonna document a time where we we leveled the playing field um, I'm putting a lot of work into this as far as like my ramen the bars um, is very important because um, after this the next why Clef album is a country album. So, so, um, and people be like, country, how, where did you, and I'd be like, well, my mama, you know, so growing up in the Caribbean, country music was one of the biggest influences. And I think like if people go back to my music now, whether you listen to the Gone to November or different songs, um, you'll get it. So I would say for me, the, the, the greatest thing is going to be, um, this first, um, full blown country album where I'll be working with, I got a team in Nashville, um, Tim Chance, a whole gang out there, Mike P, and and it's called Caribbean Cowboy, and I'm very very excited about this because, um, like whether you're talking Johnny Cash, you know what I'm saying to you, um, Men in Black, and if anyone is listening to this right now and they saying, Yo, why Clef, you're completely losing your mind right now. What would make you do a country album? And I'm gonna say. Okay, go online right now and look at 
Wyclef singing at the Johnny Cash tribute before Johnny Cash passed away. Rick Rubin, everybody hit me to do the song Delia's Gone. Delia's Gone is one of the most obscure Johnny Cash songs. So I'm such a country head that I didn't go and do a commercial country version. Besides the fact that I got standing ovations, I don't know if they were shocked because I could just sing a country <laughs> song or not. But um, Biggie Smalls has a line in his rap where he says, I think his mom used to listen to country. And so growing up in the Caribbean, the way that country music got out there, the evangelists would leave the states and they would go out there to bring the faith. And a lot of the antennas were available, um, radio frequencies. And they bought these um, antennas and they were playing gospel music. And the other form of music was definitely country music. So look out for Caribbean Cowboy going to be dope. It's going to be outlaw. It's going to tell the stories of like me and the projects, how it all started. Um, And it's going to be dope. I'm so ready for that. Yeah. I, th- I think it was um, Steven Tyler from Aerosmith who recently said uh, country is the new rock and roll with so much experimentation, all mm-hmm. these genre blends, yeah. and everything happening in that field. So it's going to be cool to see you dive headfirst into that. As yeah, well. it's going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the most important things that musicians should focus on, on in this social climate that we're currently in? Well, I, I would say the first thing is don't get sucked up in a trend you'll be finished before you even get started. Um, Originality is so important. And don't sell yourself short. Um, Build your greatest tool that you have besides your talent. Your second tool is your socials. That's your community. You can, there's no A&R there, but your community. Um, Build that, and as you build that, um, you're going to grow Don't even worry about the labels because guess what? The more your stock goes up, they're going to come. And as they come, you write your ticket. They don't write your ticket. So don't sell yourself short. You know, if you get like 8 million views, get it to 16, get it to 100. Um, So that keep in mind, the more that you you views are are important in the sense of once you building your own channel so as you building your channel make sure people subscribing to you now as they subscribing to you keep in mind like what one email can equal so once you get that subscription constantly every week talk to them don't just be sending someone who subscribed to you information when you're promoting something um, yeah, make yourself that cultivate that relationship because for somebody to take time to subscribe to you, that means like they're really into you. They want to learn about you. Um, and then I would say, um, you know, that's it. And, and remember, originality. Don't fall into a trend. Don't be like, oh, I'm just going to do trap right now because everyone do trap. I didn't tell you don't do trap, but make your trap different than they trap so that your trap 20 years from now we still trapping with you you know what I'm saying I love that wise words right there from Wyclef Jean thank you so much for stopping by live from the bar cart thank you you already know Caribbean cowboy baby we're ready we're ready I'll I'll be front row for that alright alright thanks Wyclef thank you appreciate it thank you this is 1.37pm if you want to own the future start this minute live from the bar cart is a gallery media production